Uh, you know, if you uh, open your Bible and look through the New Testament in particular and read the works of Paul, th- there's a few common phrases that we come up with. And, and one of them that you may have noticed if you've, if you've read the Bible and, and the letters of Paul a little bit is this common metaphor that is used for the Christian life. And Paul often will refer to the Christian life as a race, specifically like a marathon. And I think it's a good metaphor because there's some useful connection points that we can find between a metaphor of of a marathon and the Christian life. For example, if you want to run a marathon successfully, you need to train yourself. You need to exert a great amount of effort and commitment towards that endeavor. At the same time, you need a fairly strong amount of endurance to finish the entire race, because a, 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 a race like that is by no means the same as a sprint, completely different training that goes with it. Now, if you look at me, you may think to yourself, that guy doesn't have a runner's body. And it'd be true. When I go to the gym, I don't spend a ton of time on the treadmill. I spend most of my time on the weights, not on the treadmill, on, on the cardio side of things, which perhaps maybe I should do more of. But my wife, however, has a bit more of a, a runner's body and a bit more of a runner's mentality, and it's, it's actually her preferred sport. She asked me to run with her on occasion, and I have this sense of burden and guilt to go, white. we're married, so we should be able to do things together. And so at times I will kind of bang out five kilometers on a treadmill, and then I'll remember something my dad said when I was really little. I'm not sure if you remember that you said this, Dad, but about 35 years ago we were driving down the road and we saw a jogger going down the sidewalk, and my dad said to me, if I ever see a runner smiling, I'll take up jogging. <laughs> and so even when I, I bang out 5K on a treadmill, I finish, and I'm like, I, I didn't enjoy that at all. Why would somebody do this to themselves <laughs> repeatedly? But I see Nadine smiling when she runs, or actually more accurately, I see her smiling at the end of her run, which just kind of reinforces that the running itself isn't fun. She's just happy that it's over when it's, when it's all done. <laughs> so... Now, last year, she, uh, she did her first half marathon and a couple of other 10K runs. At the same time, she did one in particular, this different type of race, called uh, the River Valley Revenge, which is a 25-kilometer run through the River Valley, which is beautiful, but extremely challenging. You see, when you go on a typical marathon or a typical 10K, it usually takes places on paved roads or paved pathways that you can run down. They're easily, easy to navigate. They're well-marked. You can just follow the street signs, follow the map, and away you go. But the River Valley Revenge is different. While you may start on a paved road, very, very quickly you leave the paved road and you spend about 90% of your time on these narrow dirt trails, running through bushes. You'll be trying to run up ravines. Basically, the map you're following are these little pieces of colored flag tape that somebody tied to a tree. That means turn this way. And then you run for a while until you see the next one and you turn this way. See, there is a race that's marked out for you on this particular trail, but it requires a lot of faith. It requires faith that the person who went ahead of you that kind of blazed that trail through the bush, that they put those markers in the right spot. Faith that nobody moved the markers after they had put those in the right spot. Faith that as you run for a long time without seeing a particular marker, faith that you're still going in the right direction. Faith that when you encounter a hurdle, a tree that's fallen down, a a ridge, a a trail, it doesn't seem like anyone's gone over it for a long time. That faith that you can overcome that, that it's not a roadblock. It's not a barrier. The race is not over. That you can overcome that and it will lead you to the finish line and it will lead you to the prize. Based upon this reality, if that's what the River Valley Revenge is like, you can see that they have a motto on one of those pictures there. 
And their motto is this, that there is no certainty. There is only adventure. For some people, that's exciting. For other people, that makes them a little nervous as they look at that motto. And it also, I think, speaks to the faith required for the Christian life, for the race that we are called to run. And we can find parallels within this. But, but the race that's marked out for us is marked out very well, but it still requires faith for us to run that race. We need to trust in the path that we're on. We need to trust in the markers that we see in our lives. And sometimes we can run that Christian life for a while and not see a marker. But we need to have the faith to keep moving in the direction that we've been pointed. We will encounter hurdles. We will encounter challenges in our lives along the way. And do we believe, do we have faith that if we continue to press through that we will get to the finish line? Do we have faith that there is a finish line? Do we have faith that there is a prize at that finish line for us? You see, the Christian life certainly is an adventure. But I would suggest it's a little bit different than this saying would have us to believe. Because while it is an adventure, I also believe that there is certainty in faith in matters of faith. And we read about this certainty when we open the Bible to Hebrews chapter 11. And we consider a passage there that a lot of people look at and they say, this is the, kind of the, the faith hall of fame, if you will. If you look at Hebrews chapter 11, it's this impressive list of men and women from the Old Testament who have these stories that just epitomize courage and epitomize faith in God. People like Abraham and Sarah, Joshua, Moses, Rahab, Gideon, Samuel, King David, and the list goes on. It's, it's a type of names where if heaven had a Hollywood Boulevard walk of fame, these are the names that you would find on that walk. And the author begins all of these stories of these people by first providing us with a biblical definition of faith. And here's what he says faith is. He says, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and it's assurance of what we do not see. That is what the ancients were commended for. Faith. It's a word that we're somewhat familiar with here, but out in the world we know that it can be used very often in disparaging ways. That when people hear the word faith outside the context of the church, they, they sometimes equate that with trusting or following someone or something that you really don't understand. Something or someone that's perhaps not worth following because it just leads into the unknown. And I would agree that sometimes that is foolish. But that's more in line with what we refer to as blind faith. But I want to also suggest to you that the Christian faith is by no means a blind faith. That's not what we're talking about here today. This verse in particular tells us faith is equated with things like confidence. That faith is equated with assurance. Now, to some people, that may sound like an oxymoron, like kind of a contradictory term. For example, like, like being the highest paid volunteer. It seems to contrast each other. Somebody in your life, perhaps, who is passive aggressive. We use those words at times. Or somebody who may have said to you at one point, I'm not going to say I told you so. Well, you just kind of did tell me so in that moment. See, we understand that what this verse is trying to point out is that faith and certainty does not have to be a contradictory phrase. So the word confidence that exists in this verse is, is a Greek word for hypostasis, or if you're English, hypostasis, which is the improper definition of that. But the way that it's trying to communicate is this sense of substance, of firmness, of foundation, so that we feel like we're standing on solid ground. Now in the moment, there may be an immediate mystery, there may be a fog that descends around us so we can't see too far ahead of us, but this confidence it's speaking about is that we are standing on solid ground. 
that we have this resolute confidence that while there might be some mystery and some fog around me, I know that the end goal, the fulfillment of the promise, the conclusion is sure, it is certain. For example, there is an immediate mystery about how long I'm going to preach for today. But do you have resolute confidence in my promise that I will be done before 1 o'clock? And probably earlier. (laughs) The other word we see in here is assurance. And this word assurance refers to a conviction that is not static. A conviction that is not complacent. See, here's how these two work together. Is that we have such a certainty. We have such a resolute confidence that it compels us. It compels us to move forward. We have such resolute confidence in faith that we can take that step of faith. It's not a static, complacent, sit back and just stand in belief, but it's a belief to the point of movement, of action. It's not enough to just sit and believe. If we actually have faith in what we believe, it compels us, it moves us to action. That's what James talks about in James chapter 2 when he says, what good is it? If someone claims to have faith but has no deeds. He's saying, what good is it if you believe the right thing but it doesn't actually go anywhere? What good is it if you believe the right things but it makes no impact in the life of those around you? He says, what good is it if you claim to have faith but have no deeds? Because faith by itself, it is not accompanied by action, he says, is dead. Therefore, the faith that followers of Jesus Christ are called to live out while they run this race of life is a vibrant, is an active faith. And that forms the basis of our church's fourth value. During the sermon series, as we're walking through our mission, vision, and our six core values, this is the fourth core value I want to reveal to you and introduce to you today. These things, these core values that will guide our actions and reveal our priorities. And that being vibrant faith, where we will give God our all, trusting that we will experience his best. A living, active, vibrant faith. A faith that is so confident on the promises of God that it convicts us to move forward. We are so confident in the promises and the conclusions of those promises in God that we will live boldly, that we will serve boldly, that we will give generously, that we will share openly, that we will trust completely, and that we will commit everything. A vibrant faith, a faith that is put into action, that doesn't just sit back and believe. Now, we don't know who the author of Hebrews was, but we do know that this is one of the things that he was encouraging his community towards. Because if we flip up to chapter 12, we see in the opening verse of chapter 12 that we encounter one of these race metaphors for the Christian faith. And and he paints a picture for his community as he's explaining this principle to to his faith community. He's saying, imagine that you are running this race. You are in this athletic contest. And you're in this great amphitheater. And the seats are filled. The noise is deafening from the crowd that is watching and encouraging and cheering you on. And you are striving to run this race and to finish this race that has been marked out for you. He says in chapter 12, verse 1, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such this great crowd of witnesses, let us therefore throw off anything that hinders Let us throw off the sin that so easily entangles. Let us run the race with perseverance, the race that is marked out for us. You see, this great cloud of witnesses, 
those people who are sitting in the stands, there are those people who have already finished the race. The people he's referring back to in chapter 11, those great heroes of faith, those who are in the, hero, the faith hall of fame from chapter 11, they're the ones who are in the stands. And they're not just spectators. They're not just cheering you on. They're there to encourage you. They're there to offer you inspiring examples of what it looks like to live faith in action. And if you look at that long list of names, it serves as a powerful witness, a powerful inspiration of examples for us. Because while each of them exists in different situations, they exist with their own unique challenges. If you were to read that long list in chapter 11, you would see that there's a common quality. The common quality is they overcame that situation through faith. And that provides a strong evidence that faith, active faith, is the only path for the people of God to follow. Now, we haven't got time today to look at all the examples we find in chapter 11, but I do want to draw your attention to something that's common about all of them. See, if we were to read through all of chapter 11, all these examples that exist in there, you would see that there is a common process, a common pattern that exists. And you can see it with this. You can look at each example. If you have your Bibles open, you'll see every single paragraph, every single verse begins with a certain pattern. It begins by saying, by faith, a particular person had an action or an event that they expressed their faith through and that led to a promise being fulfilled by God. By faith, this person acted on faith and this was the result. We see it time and time again. In verse 7, by faith, Noah built an ark and he saved his family and was counted as an heir of righteousness. Verse 17, by faith, Abraham and Sarah moved to the promised land and lived as strangers in that land, but they had numerous descendants, therefore. Verse 24, by faith, Moses was mistreated and did not enjoy the pleasures of Egypt, and he ended up becoming the deliverer of the nation. Verse 29, by faith, the nation of Israel passed the Red Sea on dry land. The end result, they were saved. Their enemies were not. Verse 31, by faith, Rahab welcomed spies into her house, and she was not killed with the disobedient when that day came. We can see this pattern time and time again that exists throughout chapter 11. And it can be applied to our own lives as well. You see, you look at this list, and, and sometimes we sit back and we go, well, well, these are great heroes of faith from the Bible. Like, these guys are in the Bible. I'm an ordinary guy. I'm an ordinary lady. How in the world could I ever experience the things that they were experiencing? Well, here's, here's the thing. Before they were heroes of faith, they were ordinary people too. Noah lived his life being ridiculed. Abraham lived his life as a stranger. Moses began his life as just a baby like all of us. Israel began their lives as slaves. Rahab became her story as a prostitute. You see, their greatness and their ability to overcome did not come from themselves. It came from their faith put in action paired with God's promises. And so by faith, they gave God their all. They stepped out in faith, and they trusted, and they did receive his best in return. See the process? Because this process works in our lives too. But it only works with resolute confidence. It only works with that resolute confidence that moves us to assurance that is a step out in faith. Now each of us has opportunities to, to let things just pass by. I'm sure we're all guilty of some moments in our life where we've just allowed an opportunity to pass by and we look back and we know I should have said yes. 
I should have taken the step of faith. I should have said yes and, and gone down that path. When Adina and I first moved here, we, we, we had sold everything in BC to move here to kind of start this new calling, this new phase of life for ourselves. And shortly after we got here, a lady she works with, <clears throat> she and her husband were selling their house. And, and we, were, we were renting a, a small, pretty old condo at the time. And, and this lady and her husband really wanted to bless us because they believed in us moving into the ministry. And so they said, well, we're selling this place. If you'll come by and look at it, we'll sell it to you. And it was, it was a three-bedroom uh, three duplex, one of the brand-new three-bedroom duplexes with an attached garage, that sort of thing. And she says, you know what, we'll, we'll sell it to you for 169000 Now, I had just sold a much bigger house in Prince George for way less than that. And I thought, what a ripoff. 169000 for a three-bedroom duplex. I don't have to tell you, that house today is worth well over $300,000. And it was worth a lot more than one hundred sixty-nine dollars back then. But I didn't take that step. I was like, nope. I remember the fear. I remember the concern that was within me that said, nope, nope. We're new into this adventure. I'm not going to make a foolish step and mess it up. Looking back, I should have had that step of faith. I've also shared from my own story in the past how how when we are called to ministry, I, I knew from the moment I was called. I, I've never doubted it for a day of my life, but I did sit. And I sat in my belief for 10 years. And during that 10-year period of not moving, of not stepping out in faith, there was this one weekend that Dean and I went to a conference, and we were listening to another couple on the platform talk about this amazing call that happened in their lives, how they came to to faith in the Lord, how they were called into ministry, how that had happened for them, and now here they are presenting to this room full of people. And I leaned over to Nadine, and I said, that's what I'm waiting for. I know I'm called, but that's what I'm waiting for. And what I meant by that is I know I'm called. I know God has revealed himself to me. I know he has set a path before me, but I'm waiting for him to pick me up by the arms, put me on the path, and kick me in the butt to get me moving down the road. How many of us think that that's actually how it works? And I sat for 10 years in that calling with the right belief, but with no action. It reminds me of the story of Moses in the burning bush. Remember that from Exodus chapter 3? Where Moses has left Egypt at this point, and he's living in the wilderness as a shepherd. And as he's living out there, one day he takes his flock by himself out to the foot of Mount Horeb. And we read this in, in chapter 2 where it says, The angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within the bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it didn't burn up. Now this wasn't really a strange sight at first. You see, with the heat and the dryness of the desert, it was not uncommon for bushes to self-combust. That wasn't the surprising part for Moses. What was surprising is that after a bush would self-combust, it wouldn't take very long for that to burn and fizzle out and just turn to ash. But this bush kept on burning. It was burning and burning and got his attention. God revealed himself in a very clear manner. God revealed himself to Moses close enough that Moses couldn't deny the reality that he was there. God revealed himself to Moses in a way that he couldn't deny something unique was happening. But here's the question I want to ask you. How long do you think Moses sat there and watched that bush burn? How long did he wait and just go, that's curious. That's a strange thing. Five minutes? An hour? Did he wait a day, a week? How long did he wait for? Now, we're not told specifically how long he waited for, but we are told how long. 
Because in verse 4 it says this, When the Lord saw that Moses had gone over to look, then God spoke to him from the bush. You see, God could have appeared in the bush and just started speaking. But God had revealed himself in that burning bush, and then he waited for what? He waited for Moses to put his faith in action. He waited for Moses to take a step towards him. And when Moses took a step towards God, then God spoke. And if you look at what God spoke for the next long, long amount of reading, God lays out the next 40 years of Moses' life for him. This is what I'm going to do, and you're my guy, is the next thing God speaks. It would not have happened. It did not happen until Moses took a step towards that burning bush. God did his part in revealing himself. God did his part in having the promise to deliver his people. God had a plan how that was going to happen, and then he sat and waited in that bush until Moses came to him. And that's when it all started to come together. We can trust the process. We can trust the process. That by faith, you, by faith, we, by faith, me, can take a step of faith, and we can merge with what God is already doing and planning. And we can see his promises revealed. We can trust the process. And this process can be applied to any promise we find in Scripture. Whatever situation, whatever challenge you're going through that you find yourself currently in, you can apply this process right now. Let me give you some examples. If you're in the middle of a situation where you have a life decision to make, a choice, you're at a fork in the road, you don't know which way to go, Proverbs 3, 4, Proverbs 3 verses 5 and 6 says, By faith, that's your part of the action, by faith, those who are at a fork in the road, can trust God with all their heart and lean not on their own understanding. And what's the outcome? He will make your path straight. Those who are fearful, those who are worried, who will take this step of faith, Philippians 4, 6 through 7 says, by faith, those who are anxious, if they will pray and bring their concerns to me, if they will bring their petitions to me with thanksgiving in their hearts, what's the result? The peace of God. The peace which transcends all understanding will guard their hearts. If you're going through a season of temptation, James 4, 7 says, By faith, the tempted, when they submit themselves to God, when they resist the devil, the end result, they will be provided a way out. That he will flee from you. If we're going through financial and money worries, Malachi 3, 8 through 10 says, By faith, when God's people stop robbing God and bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, the result is God throws open the floodgates of heaven. And God pours out so much blessing, there is not room to store it up. We can see this process time and time again through the promises of Scripture. And there are countless promises that we find in the Bible that you can claim in your life and apply this process to. And when we do, when we read those promises, and by faith we claim them, and by faith we step out and live them, that is how we come to discover that life is better with Jesus. And when we hear that phrase, life is better with Jesus, if that doesn't ring true within your head, if that doesn't cause excitement and joy to well up within your heart, if it doesn't feel like it matches your experience, I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you to take a step of faith. To take a step of vibrant, active faith in some area of your life that God is leading you towards. It may be in an area where you, he's calling you to serve somebody. Where he's calling you to give generously and lavishly where he's calling you to share your faith with somebody, where he's calling you to trust in him in the midst of trouble, where he's calling you to commit your life to him and to trust him, to take that step of faith. If God has revealed himself to you in some direction and in some way, he may be burning in a bush, 
just waiting for you to take that step of vibrant faith and just see if God shows up. Because I think he will. I also want you to keep in mind that while God is a good father, that while he loves to bless his children, he loves to give them good things, this race that we're running in life, the finish line is not our bank accounts. The finish line is not personal success. The, the finish line is not happiness. The finish line is relationship with Jesus Christ. That is the goal. That is the race that we're running. You see, God is faithful to his oaths. He will keep his promises. And we as his people are to live in light of that. But if we look at chapter 11 in Hebrews, at the very end of chapter 11, there's this final closing promise that says in verse 39, though all of these people were commended for their faith, even though all these people, there's a promise, there's a revelation, there's a step of faith, and there's a fulfillment of it. Even though they're commended for their faith, none of them received what was promised. Since God had planned something better for us so that only together would we be made perfect. You see, these heroes of faith often receive the fulfillment of the promise in their situation and in their time. But there was another promise. There was a greater promise. There was this definitive fulfillment of God's greatest promise which was yet to come. And that being the internal inheritance that can be known through new life. The internal inheritance that can be known through the promises, the new promise that was established in Jesus Christ. So while we are surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses who are inspiring examples for us in how we live our lives and how we run our races today, while we have the presence of the promises of God all around us that gives us confidence and gives us assurance for what lies ahead of us today and tomorrow, the choice falls to us. It falls to us individually and it falls to us corporately. How will we run the race? If you're like me, you know very well that if when the service is over, if you got up and you just went out to try to, to conquer the River Valley Revenge, if you finished that race, it would destroy your body. <laughs> we are not ready to do that at this point. If you did finish, you'd have a poor qualifying time. You may not even finish the race. It's because if we're going to run that race well, we need to train ourselves. We might need to change some habits. Some of us probably need to lose five pounds, maybe. 55? Yeah, 55. It's a zero on the end. What's a zero? Zero is nothing, right? This is similar to what the author of Hebrews talks about as we continue reading in verse 1 of chapter 12. When he talks about there are things that enable and things that disable our ability to run well. When he says, let us throw off everything that hinders and so easily entangles and let us run the race of perseverance marked out for us, fixing our eyes upon Jesus the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. When he says throw off everything that hinders, for his original audience, this is a very familiar analogy. Because in the original Olympic Games, when, you, when people would gather to watch, watch these runners, they would literally throw off everything that hindered, anything that kept them from breathing clearly, from, from free movement. Because quite often these athletes would just run naked. They'd just step out and they would just strip it down and they would run. Nothing is hindering me as they would run through except for my shame. I don't think they had Winter Olympics at that time. But, but it begs the question, what is he saying we need to shed? What do we need to shed that would reveal our authentic selves, that would allow us the freedom to run this race, that would allow us to breathe? 
Maybe it's a backpack that we're carrying full of past failures. Maybe it's the weight of guilt of things that have been done or that we're still stuck in. Maybe it's the heaviness of shame. He's saying if we're going to run this race, we need to cast off all of that. Maybe what's hindering us is a particular type of hindrance, sin. As he says here, sin that entangles. Sin will not disentangle, it will keep us from finishing the race. Now sin can be understood as anything that is contrary to God's will or contrary to God's perfect character. We can look at it also as running our own path as opposed to running the race that he has marked out for us. Anything that falls in those categories we can understand as sin. And sin has this way of tripping you up. Sin has this way of tying your laces together so that you can't run well. And that you keep stumbling and falling down and not sure if you'll ever finish the race. Sin has this way of leading us to the belief that I'm not good enough. That I'm not worthy. That, that why should I even bother trying as long as my laces are tied together. See, sin has this way of causing us to focus downwards to our own feet. And to take our eyes off the finish line. To take our eyes off the fulfillment of that ultimate prize, which is Jesus Christ. Which is the solution. The solution to that which hinders. The solution to the sin that entangles, that causes us to take our eye off the prize. The solution is to fix our eyes upon Jesus, he says. Jesus, who is the author, the pioneer, the perfecter of our faith. What does the word pioneer mean? The word pioneer refers to being the champion. The one who is the author, probably the best definition of that is the one who is the trailblazer. See, Jesus is the one who went first, who blazed the trail first, who already successfully ran the race and marked out the path, who cleared the barriers. He is the reason we can have confidence in the, the course that is marked out for us. He is the reason we can have assurance that when we encounter an obstacle, by faith we can get over it, under it, or through it and finish the race. When it talks about him being the perfecter, that he is the example of how to run the race, that he modeled it for us. But he did more than that. He is the one who brings our faith to its intended goal. He is the one who fulfilled that definitive promise that even those heroes of the past were pointing towards. Because only he can accomplish what it takes. Only he is the one who can free us from the sin that entangles. Only he is the one who can bring us into relationship with the Father, which is that ultimate prize and purpose and means by which we run the race. Jesus paid the price for those sins, those things that keep us. And he paid the price for us upon the cross. If we keep reading and we find ourselves in, in verse 2, it says, For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He scorned its shame. And he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. You see, by faith, Jesus Christ endured the cross in our place. And the fulfillment, he won our victory. And he was glorified to the right hand of the Father. That's the process of which Jesus followed as well. And in so doing, he becomes the object and the means of our faith. For this life and the next. If we want to enter into that relationship with him, 1 John 1, 9 spells it out for us in the process as well, where it says, by faith, those who are seeking that freedom, by faith, those who want victory over their sin, by faith, those who want to run the race that God has marked out for them, if they will confess their sins, that he is faithful, 
that he is just, that he will forgive them from all of their sins, that he'll purify them from all of their unrighteousness, is the promise. See, God's desire is for this to be the truth within our lives, for this to be the reality that, that we live by personally, for this to be what exists, the reality within our church, for this to be what the community around us comes to know. The enemy, the enemy wants to ensnare you. The enemy wants to burden you down. He wants to tie your laces together. He wants to weigh you down so much that you cannot run the race well, if even finish the race. John 10.10 says that the enemy comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But Jesus said this. He says, but I have come that you may have life and have it to the fullness, to find that freedom to move to find that freedom to breathe, to find that ability to run the race, to step out in confidence and assurance and vibrant faith because of a life lived with Jesus Christ. That is the path that is marked out for all of us, to live a life, to experience a life that is better with Jesus than a life without him. This is the promise. This is the revelation that is given to us. This is the foundation of our faith. And based upon that, our, one of our core values is vibrant faith that we will give God our all, trusting that we will experience his best if we will take that step. As we come to a time of prayer here, I want to invite the worship team to join me on the platform again. As we think about this, do you think about the race that, that we're running this past week, uh, the race that we have on our calendars in the days ahead of us? There are some challenges or probably some highlights. There are some moments we're going to come across where we'll be tempted to trust in ourselves. There'll be moments we already know that are beyond ourselves, that we'll need to trust in God. I just want to invite you to join me in a word of prayer as we close here. That we'd acknowledge that Jesus is the author and the pioneer and he is the perfecter of our faith. And that we can run the race that was marked out by him because of him. And if you happen to be here today and, and, and you know that that is a different path than you are currently on, that you have never accepted that forgiveness of Jesus Christ for your sins, you've never given your life to him, you've never taken that particular step of faith because it's, it's shrouded in, 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 in mystery. You don't understand what that step looks like. If perhaps you, you fear taking that step because it would mean letting go of control, we're uncertain you're having to acknowledge some things of the past that, that you'd just rather not open up. There is freedom. There is freedom to breathe, to be freed from the weight of those things. And there's a new path that Christ has marked out for you. For those who are here who have made that profession of faith in the past, but we look back and we think, you know, I'm still carrying around this bag on the back that is slowing me down. That keeps you from taking those bold steps of faith. I want to challenge you, encourage you to, to consider how would we release that today? To give that up to Jesus Christ. That we could carry it to the cross and lay it down there and carry it no more. I invite you to bow your heads with me and consider those things. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are the one who came to live, to minister, to provide the example, and ultimately, Lord, to give your life in our place upon the cross. 
that because of you, Jesus, we can know what it is to have a life that is better with you than any other option that exists, any other world's philosophies, any other, any other world's directions or suggestions, that the only path that we desire to walk is the one that you have laid before us, Lord. We thank you that you offer that to us. Lord, for those who may be here who have never taken that step of faith, who have never taken one step on that path with you, I pray, Lord, that in their hearts right now, that they would invite you to come and be with them, to live with them, to forgive them. Help us, Lord, to come alongside them as a church to walk that path with them and lead them to know what it means to live that life with you. For those of us here, Lord, who know that we are burdened and we are, we are hunched over by the weights that are hindering us, God, I pray in the name of Jesus that we could cast those things off, that you would bring freedom and healing to those burdens, to those struggles, to those wounds. God, I pray for those who are ensnared in sin, that we would in our own hearts and minds, we would name that sin right now. And that we'd ask in the name of Jesus to be freed from that. And that people around us would help us to, to remain in freedom from that. That Lord, that when we leave this place, if we walk this life, this path with you, that we would walk with a new step, with new energy, a new freedom and a new pace. Because you have set us free. Because those who are with you are free indeed. God, we pray all these things. We ask these things. We surrender these things by faith. Acknowledging that if we give you our all, if we give you all of our burdens, that you set us free and we experience your best. If we give you our, our sins, you set us free and we experience your best. If we give you our blessings, if we give you our lives, you will use us and lead us and we will experience your best. God, I pray this for the people who are gathered here. But Lord, I also pray it for those who are in the community surrounding us that we would be your ambassadors of grace, truth, and love to go out that they too could come to understand that life is better with Jesus and experience freedom like they've never known before as well. We pray this in your holy name.